picked outrageous love and he picked Jesus, we love you, we didn't get to that. And all this kind of leading to what I want to speak to you about this morning. It's much more than just the idea of God loving us. In, in Luke 15, we're going to go there. Just, just pay attention to the screen. If you have your Bibles, it's fine. I promise you it's the same thing, all right? In Luke 15, we find the parable of, of, the, sheep, of the shepherd that has his 99 sheep, 100 sheep and 99 that are still there and one that wanders off. And we see that something happens here that, that doesn't really make sense. If you read Luke 15, the beginning of it, if you can put that up there for me while you're working on it. Sorry, I threw you a curveball. I was listening to this song, Reckless Love. This is how this message came about a couple of weeks ago. And I was in my car and in the middle of singing it, probably off key, and listening to it really loud, driving down 75 as I do every day. And something happened. Oh, is the Prezi not working? I preached the first service, Don. All right, you just gave it up. Hold on now. That's good, that's good. In Luke 15, we see that it says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they didn't like who he was hanging out with. What they really didn't like is they didn't like that he was, he was being nice and actually wanted a relationship with the people that they believed didn't deserve what he was giving them. And they didn't believe that he should be hanging out with those people. It was the Pharisees who were obsessed with their titles and their classifications and subgrouping people and deciding that who was righteous and who wasn't, who would be received by God and who wouldn't be received by God. And they were indignant at the idea that Jesus would hang out with those that nobody else wanted to be around. And so he tells the story to try to drive the point home. He says, if there's a hundred sheep, what shepherd would leave I mean, what shepherd wouldn't leave those 99 and go after the one? Does not he leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. In verse 6, is when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. The pattern that we see in the scripture is very simple. They didn't like who he was hanging out with. And Jesus said, Let me tell you something. I love this question because as a shepherd, he actually says this. He says, he says, well, what shepherd wouldn't leave the 99 and go after the one? Well, I have an answer for you, Jesus. None of them would. No shepherd would leave 99 sheep and go after one. Look it up. Read it. The sheep were their investment. The sheep were, were, 
let me put it in this in terms. Let's just say you have $100,000 in investments. And 99,000 of those dollars are invested in one company. And 1,000 of those dollars are invested in another company. And the stock market begins to tank. And you want to sell off. But you can only make one trade. save one of those companies. Which one is it? This was their investment. The sheep were their wealth. Nobody would leave the 99 on a hill for a wolf to come or, or prey to come and prey on those 99 to go after one. They would count it as lost. They'd say, well, the one is lost, but I've still got 99. You see, the world system of value placed on things and people and and, and, and the kingdom of this world around us is completely different from the kingdom of God. God looks at somebody in such a way that it doesn't make sense in our natural mind. Why you would put in jeopardy the 99 to go after the one. It's a rhetorical question, but we know the answer. There's only one shepherd that would do this. It's the great shepherd. I'm going to skip forward to uh, pass the video. In Isaiah 53, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we were healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is interesting because it says, All sheep have fallen, or have gone astray. All sheep have fallen. And then the iniquity, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So in Isaiah, it's prophesying, capital H, that our sin would fall on the shoulders. Our mistake would fall on the shoulders of him. Kind of like that sheep that was lost fell on the shoulders of the shepherd as he carried him back home. If you go forward to the New Testament in 2 Peter, not that, not that, not that one. 1 Peter 2, it says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. For who? For by his wounds... You were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. I love this because it completes the sentence of Isaiah. You see, Isaiah doesn't have that return. It just says, all sheep have gone astray, and the sin has fallen upon his shoulders. It's fallen upon him. And then, 1 Peter 2 says, but now... But now something's changed. You have returned to the shepherd and guardian. Some of them some say overseer of your souls. That word return in the Greek is this word. It is epistrepho. And it means, it means it is a past action. That passive aorist tense, we've talked about that. It's a past action without further limitation or implication. It means this. It means not we are returning, but we have been returned. It is a past action that has no limitation or implication. Further, in other words, nothing can change that passive aorist thing. It is something that was done in the past that is done once and for all for the future. We don't have that tense in the English language. It's only in the Greek, the ancient Greek, as a matter of fact. It's not even in modern Greek. And so it means it is it is it is a past action that is active and it is cannot be changed, which means that when we were returned to the guardian of our souls, to the overseer of our souls, when we were returned back to him as that lost sheep, it is done once and for all. 
never to be repeated again. Do you hear me? And I began to think about this story, and let me tell you why. Because I was driving in the car, and I'm listening to this song, and I'm listening to Corey Asbury, who wrote the song, talk about um, why he wrote it and what it means to him. And in this moment, I realized that there was a story from my childhood that I was told many times by lots of people that I respect, great men and women of God. I heard this story repeated over and over and over again. And I realized in this moment, I'm driving down the road, and excuse me, kids, don't say this at home, but I was driving down the road, and I thought to myself, it is a load of crap. The story I was told. It's not true. It's a story about a shepherd, and it says this. It says, a foreign traveler in Syria who became acquainted with a shepherd. Each morning, he noticed the shepherd taking food to a sheep that had broken a leg. As he looked at the animal, he asked the shepherd, how did the sheep break its leg? Did it meet with an accident, fall into a hole, or did some animal break its leg? No, said the shepherd, I broke this sheep's leg myself. You broke it yourself, queried the surprised traveler. Yes, you see, this is a wayward sheep. It would not stay with the flock, but would lead the sheep astray. Then it would not let me near it, so I had to break the sheep's leg so that it would allow me day by day to feed it. In doing this, it will get to know me as its shepherd, trust me as its guide, and keep with the flock. Oh, that just sounds so wonderful. That the end of the story is, is that the sheep gets to know the shepherd and his voice. How many of you ever heard this story before? It's a myth. It's a myth. I did some research on it. I was driving in the car, and I remembered this story as a kid, and I thought to myself, that's not true. I had no, no evidence to prove it wasn't true. But I just knew in that moment, it's not true. That, does, that never happened, and it doesn't happen. And shepherds don't break the sheep, the legs of their sheep. And neither does God. And I'm in that moment, and I'm like, wait a second, this is wrong. And this is reinforcing, this idea is reinforcing the very thing that Jesus came to destroy in, in the hearts and minds of the Pharisees. And I got home and I began to research it. And I'm like hitting the keys like really hard. You know, Siri pops up and she's like, are you upset with something? You know, like, I'm like, yeah, I've been lied to. So I'm going through here and I'm, I realize this. That story never appeared in any ancient writings, any historical documents from pagans, from Christians, from Muslims, from, Jew from Jewish writings, never appeared anywhere until 1955. And then in 1979, it was included in a much more well-known book called 7700 Illustrations for Pastors, written by Paul Tanley. You can look it up. It's in there. And pastors and believers took that illustration as gospel and preached that sometimes God has to discipline you when you have ventured away from the flock. And so believers began this, those that had this reinforced and it's been reinforced in a lot of different ways over the years began to think that when they made a mistake it wasn't the loving arms of the father that was waiting for them it was their correction and their punishment that was waiting for them and so they didn't come running back knowing they would be received by a loving father they held 
their head in shame as they walked back to the Father's house, knowing that what was coming, the punishment, the lesson, the correction, and dare I say today, folks call it the truth. But it doesn't make sense, you kids that I kept in here and you're mad at me because you're not getting your snacks. I will buy you all the snacks your heart could ever desire, okay? Kids, listen to me. This isn't true. I thought it was when I was a kid. But it's not true. God's not waiting to break your leg or to hurt you when you've made a mistake. It doesn't even make biological sense because I looked it up. A sheep's leg takes between six and eight weeks to heal. And so not only would that shepherd, if he broke his leg, have to carry him on his shoulders back to the flock, but every time they moved to a new hill for six to eight weeks, he would have to carry that sheep on his, his shoulders. Sound fun? Sheep serve 70 pounds, between 50 and 80 pounds normally, unless you got a real big one, one like me, 50 to 80 pounds. So stick a 70 pound sack of potatoes on your shoulders and carry it around for six to eight months over mountains doesn't make sense not only that but what happens if two wanders off or does this shepherd say listen I'm carrying this one around none of you wander off until this one's healed do you understand me sheep doesn't make sense what does make sense when we begin to understand how much God loves us it is that he's waiting to scoop us up and to rejoice and throw us over his shoulders and let our mistake, look at me, rest on his shoulders. The Bible says he took our sin and mistake upon his shoulders to the cross. He took the sin of mankind. He took death upon his own shoulders. That's the picture of the Father. Not that he's waiting. If you read, dumb me, all you have to do to know this isn't true, this story, is to read the rest of Luke 15, which is the story of the coin that the, wife, the woman was looking for, and she found, finally found that lost coin, and then says that she invited her neighbors over to rejoice that she had lost her lost coin. She didn't take that coin and put it out in the rain and cold and say, I'm not speaking to you until you get rusty. rest of Luke 15 is, is taken up by the story of the prodigal son where the prodigal son comes home and the father receives him with open arms and says come and, and eat, we're throwing a party for you, I've been waiting for you on the porch and watching down the, down the road waiting for the dust to begin to stir in the hopes that my son was coming home, that is the picture God gives us and I thought about this if we took everything the shepherd did and everything the sheep did and put it into two categories, two columns in this equation. Let's just look at it for a moment. The shepherd found the sheep. I can preach a whole summer on that. If you think we're searching for God, folks will intercede for eight hours looking for God cry, snot, jump, scream, get soft, silent, loud, tarry, puke, searching for God. I got news for you. He ain't lost. Now kids, don't use that. That is 
really bad English. He ain't lost is not correct. He is not lost. He is not lost. If any person is going to be found in this equation, it is you. And if any person is searching, it is him. We have this idea that when somebody wanders off, that God's just up there like, well, let them wallow in it. Maybe eventually they'll come to their senses. No, when you wander away, when you have strayed from the flock, when you are no longer under that protection and that provision, that preservation that comes along with everything that he's done, the Bible is so clear. He is looking and searching. He is, he is doing everything he can to find that one lost sheep. He's doing, he's searching everywhere he can. The Bible says he's searching to and fro the earth, looking. of an angry God waiting to discipline. The picture is not of a God who's waiting to teach you a lesson. The picture is of a God who is searching because the shepherd is the one that found the sheep. The shepherd is also the one that took the sheep. The shepherd's the one that carried the sheep on his shoulders. How much has the sheep done so far? You know why people hate when I preach this stuff? Some people hate it. Let's just be real. You know why? Because some of us have been striving so hard to please God. And the idea that the sheep did nothing in this equation makes us feel like we've wasted our time. Somebody's getting real this morning. Somebody's telling the truth this morning. You didn't waste your time. <laughs> you didn't waste a moment because you're here today. You came to this moment today. He found the sheep. He took the sheep. He carried the sheep. He brought the sheep home and he threw a party for the sheep. He rejoiced. He invited the neighbors over. He was excited that that one was gone. You know what the sheep did? Two things. There were really three, but two. He got lost. How many of y'all can get lost? How many of y'all have, have been lost? All right. We're getting real. Because the Bible says all have gone astray. Every one of us. Isn't that cute? We look at somebody who's lost and we're like, he's just a mess. Well, all have gone astray. I think the first, uh, the first, uh, Leah, you got to help me out. I think the first Bible verse they teach you and when we were in the tabernacle when we were in Christian school was A, because they did it A, B, C, D and it was all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean that's the first scripture we learn. Y'all, all of you, every single one of you have gone astray. This is what the sheep did. The sheep got lost and the sheep did this. This, this is probably the most sophisticated most spiritually intelligent thing or noise you're ever going to hear in your life. The sheep did this. Bah! Bah! Uh, well, that doesn't fit into our box, does it? What about all the, the hoops? What about 
proving they've learned their lesson. What about proving that they really love God? Is this a true commitment they've made or they just do it because they felt pressured into it? What's really going on? All the questions and the stupid stuff we put in people's way of just simply coming to the realization that I'm cold and I'm tired and I'm alone and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to get back and all I can do is go, Meh. And you know, I gotta be honest with you, it's probably the dumbest sound in the entire human or the entire animal world. I don't think a single animal makes a dumber sound than sheep and goats. Maybe a cow. Everything else has a little, I mean, I mean, cock-a-doodle-doo has some real sophistication to it, all right? More than one syllable, sounds, you can sing it, it's got different tones in it, but bah, it's like, I'm a moron, I'm lost, I don't know how I got here, I'm cold, why is that wolf coming closer? It's the dumbest you heard it here first. It's the dumbest sound in the entire animal world. Kids, if that comes up on your test, you make sure to answer that, all right? What is the dumbest sound in the animal world? You say, a sheep. Because at the end of it, at the end of it, all the sheep knew is it was lost. All the sheep knew is it was cold. It didn't know what the Pharisees were asking of it to do. All it knew is, all it can do is cry. This cry is a prayer, and it's enough for our Savior to come and rescue us wherever we're at. That's all the sheep did. The shepherd did the rest. If you want to get really technical, the third thing the sheep did, which I've preached on many times in the last couple months, is the sheep rested. The sheep could have gone across the shoulders of the shepherd and kicked. I don't know if you've ever tried to together a sheep or a goat or an animal like it but they do not play and they will whoop you fast the sheep had to realize I'm heading home that's it and rest not fight not try to okay I think I know where we're going let me jump off at this point and head back do you hear me the sheep just rested on the shoulders of the shepherd 